Welcome to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. May the Word of God be a blessing to you. Connect with us and consider giving online at lifespringchurch.us. Oftentimes, we come to service, and let me just talk about us, we Pentecostals, apostolic Pentecostals, we are always seeking. We're like the uh, ant who has its antlers out, just always feeling around, seeking. And I think we should be. We should always be striving to be more in the Spirit and more led by the Spirit and, and more obedient to the Word of God. We should never become complacent in moving forward in what God wants us to do. We definitely don't want to go back. That's backsliding. And we definitely don't want to get stuck because that's no progress. So we're always seeking and always moving forward. And, and sometimes we become conditioned that every time we come together, I, knew, I need a new, fantastic, revelatory word from God. And sometimes pastors just don't have that. So today I'm going to preach something you've probably heard a gazillion times. But I go back to what Peter said, and I believe it was Second Peter. He said, I stir up your remembrance. So I'm going to stir us a little bit today to, to cause us to think and maybe show appreciation and just to reestablish some things in our hearts and our lives today. Amen? Is that all right? You're not going to go to sleep when, we, when I introduce the topic because you've already heard it before, right? <laughs> One's already out over here. I guess if you're under the age of four, you can go to sleep. I didn't say 40, I said four. <laughs> Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to read four verses of Scripture today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren... I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. Here's Paul saying, I want to tell you what the gospel is. Which ye have received and wherein ye stand. By which also ye are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you. Unless ye, also, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you all that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Today I just want to preach to us the gospel. I just want to preach to us the gospel. You can be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word. The gospel is the good news. We all like good news. We've even used the phrase, well, that's the gospel truth. That's the good news truth. And we should all be excited when good news comes along. There's, there's all different types of good news that comes into families or, or situations or job situations. And we all get really excited or we, we turn up the energy level when we hear good news. It, it lifts our spirits. It encourages our attitude. It we emotionally react to good news. When we hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ, 
it should stir inside of us these same emotions and reactions because it is the best news. It is good news. The good news is Jesus saves from sin. Jesus delivers and sets free. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus made this possible to us through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection. And you've probably heard me mention this nearly every single Sunday. Because I write the gospel on my notes towards the end every single Sunday. Because this is the power to change our lives. What was it that the Pharisees missed? They missed the gospel. They knew the word. They knew the Old Testament. They knew the Old Covenant. They knew all the prophecies of Messiah. But they missed the revelation of the gospel. They missed all of the prophecies that talked about the man who would die, be buried, and raise again. And if they would have got the gospel, religion would have become more than just a thing of practice. It would have become more than just a social standing. It would have become more than just a mode of political influence. It would have been a life-changing experience in their lives. This is what the gospel does. It changes our lives. None of us would be where we are or who we are today if it wasn't for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only that it exists, but that we were obedient to it. And we also were a partaker in the gospel of Christ. I'm thankful someone shared with me the good news. I'm thankful someone told me about Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and the power of him doing it. Amen? Jeff Reddy, you may recognize that name. He's been here to minister a few times. He is a missionary. He is not a missionary to the far jungles of the Amazon. He's a missionary here in North America, and he goes to First Nation people or Native American reservations and helps share the gospel message of Jesus Christ. A statement that he often says is, it's only good news if it gets there in time. That's a convicting statement. It, it convicts my heart because not only have I heard the good news, but how many people have I shared the good news with? How many people have I stepped into their life and given them the opportunity to receive and respond to the good news of Jesus Christ? You know somebody that's broken in their life? Maybe they need to go to a counselor and talk through some of it. But let me tell you, don't try counseling. Send them to a counselor. What you can provide to them is the good news. Share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. I would say the good news is the gospel message is like baking a cake. 
There's many different ingredients that go into making a cake. Well, most cakes have many, many ingredients. I guess we've perfected it now. You just throw some butter, flour, cocoa, a little bit of oil in a little dish and throw it in the microwave. And 15 seconds later, you have a somewhat okay-to-eat cake. You put enough ice cream on it, it's delicious. <coughs> but a real cake has multiple ingredients that are put in together at certain times and mixed together in a certain way. And with the right proportions of each ingredient placed into the right temperature for the right amount of time, you pull out a wonderful cake. Anybody here like cake? <laughs> There's always normally cake people and pie people. We see lots of hands for cake people. We have some who are non-prejudiced. No respecter of dessert. <laughs> but if you were to make this cake and you were to add too much of a single ingredient, salt, everybody knows it. It spoils the cake. Or if you were to leave out an ingredient. Oh, I forgot the eggs. Well, you're not making cake. <laughs> it doesn't work without eggs. So it takes every ingredient in its right proportion to be put together and placed in the right environment for this cake to come together. This is how it is with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. I'm not interested and I don't want today to create an argument for the sake of arguing. But I would like to just draw a line of difference today. I believe the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe John 3.16 is true. But John 3.16 in and of itself is not the encapsulation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is just simply God's plan to enact the gospel of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm thankful that God said I will create sonship, flesh, and I will dwell inside of it and I will come and offer it as a sacrifice for us to live or for us to be redeemed, and then he will be buried in a tomb, and he will raise again, all in similitude of what we would do in obedience to the gospel. John 3.16 is the doorway into the gospel. The beginning of the gospel is Jesus loves you. Here in America, we've heard that so many times that it almost becomes ambient noise around us every little trinket you got in Sunday school as a kid said Jesus loves you on it every eraser every pencil every marker every friendship bracelet everything said Jesus loves you if you have a Sunday school teacher that wants to splurge they can even buy cookies that say Jesus loves you and he does but let's not become numb to the beauty of what that really means. Those three words carry great magnitude and weight with them. 
the God of the universe, the creator of everything, loves you. This is difficult for, for some people to, to grab a hold of because we deal with stuff. We know us. You know you and I know me. And sometimes we don't love us. We don't love ourselves. Sometimes we make faults or we have failures or we have difficulties or situations in our life and we can't love us. And so through that prism we say, how can somebody like God love me? I'll tell you how come God can love you. Because he's not confined to our understanding. God doesn't see me from my past mistakes. God sees me in what he created me to be. And he realizes that my road has ups and downs and bumps. If God only saw me as the one who failed, he wouldn't believe in me. But God believes in me. He believes so much in you and loves us so much that he said, I will die for you. And not only will I die for you, but I will be buried in a tomb and I will victoriously win over death in the grave, death in hell. And not only will I win, I will resurrect again and send back my spirit to fill them. That is a powerful Savior. <laughs> but it takes every ingredient for the cake to be right. And it takes every ingredient of the gospel for it to be effectual and active and have purpose in our lives. Revelations chapter 22, verses 18 and 19 is the closing remarks, not only of Revelations, but of all of Scripture. Here's what it says. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, he shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Would anybody here like to sign up for the plagues written in the Bible? Miserable, man. I don't want any of that. I'm not going to add anything to the gospel or the salvation experience or what it means to live for God that's not in Scripture. Now stay with me. Because if I add to what God has called me to do, then I add to my own life the plagues that are written in this book. Boils and leprosy don't sound very pleasing. Verse 19, and if any man shall take away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Anybody like the promises in this book? Given, it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosoms. I love it when God causes people to bless us. Train up your children in the way they should go. When they're old, they'll not depart from it. That's a powerful promise. I want every promise in the book to be applied in my life and in my family. 
I want every promise to come to fruition. And so I do not want to take away from the gospel message. Because if I remove things from the gospel message, I'm removing my place in the book of life. And the holy city, known as heaven. And the promises in the book. So I can't just simply say, the door is enough. I must go through the door and I must participate in the fullness of the gospel. Are you with me this morning? Okay. So what is the gospel? We've discussed it. It is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That God would die seems crazy. Why would the one who took nothing and made everything die? You know, sometimes as a parent, we instruct our children and they'll say, why? And our answer, because we don't have a good one, is because I told you so. I'm your dad, and I told you to get it done. That's a good enough reason. The older they get, the less that works, just so you know. There is someone who can say, because I said so. And there is no argument. When he said, let there be light, the molecules and the energy of non-existence that came into existence didn't sit there and have to discuss or, or argue or, or get any further permission to radiate. There was no argument. Well, should I really shine? Why should I shine? Because I said so. <laughs> when he said... Let the water bring forth. Let the clouds bring forth. Let the ground bring forth. And he created all that exists. There was no discussion. There was no conversation. It simply was his word said, let it be. And it was. This is the God who looked at humanity and said, i got to save them. I created them differently. I created them with a, a different form. I created them with a different intention. I created them with a different purpose. You weren't created by the voice of God. You were created by the handcrafted fingerprints of God. He formed you out of the dust of the earth. Humanity. We were formed in His image. We were formed in the ability to have a conscience and to know the difference between right and the wrong and to make judgment with righteousness and unrighteousness. Which means we have the ability to be guilty or innocent. We have the ability, the ability to be convicted. Then he breathed into us. He didn't just create us in his like manner, but then he breathed into us and gave us in a living soul. He, he made us eternal. Now, we don't, we don't fully understand all that because we look through a glass dimly at the spiritual world, but, but you are eternal. I don't know what shape my uh, soul has. The Bible says when we get to heaven, we'll be known as we are known. That's a pretty generic answer. 
Will I be known as I was known at 18, 25, 40, or beyond? Will I be known on my healthiest day or my sickest day? Will I be known by my high school nickname? Oh, please no, Lord. Or by my real name? How will I be? It's, it's a bit clouded. But the God who lives in the eternal said, I will go to the realm where my creation lives, the temporal, and I will live among them. I will be tempted by them. And then I will die for them. Matthew says, scarcely will you die for a friend. But Jesus died for people that hated his guts. Jesus died for people that don't even know he exists. Refused to acknowledge he exists. Jesus died for people who say they love him but then don't follow him. Jesus died for the hypocrites. Jesus died for the faithful. Jesus died for those that love him. Jesus died for those that willingly give everything to serve him. Jesus died for everybody. There is no exclusion at the cross. Every single person, Jesus Christ died for them. And if he was willing to die for us, there is no restraint in us and our willingness to die for him. Now, I'm not particularly talking about earthly persecution. Those days may come. Jesus may come first. We'll see which happens. But the death I'm talking about today is not natural. The death I'm talking about today is spiritual. If God could so willingly leave the spiritual and die in the natural for us, then I should be willing to release my natural and die in the spirit for him. I should surrender my soul back to its creator. I should surrender its control back to the creator. 2 Corinthians, we read it earlier. No, we didn't get that far. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. Here's what Paul's saying. I'm excited when I begin to see people sorrowful in their spirit. I'm excited when I begin to see people who are willing to be sorrowful in their mannerisms and in the, in the godly manner in which they respond. Not because there's any physical damage done to them, but their soul is being touched. God is ministering to them. Verse 10, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. 
What an incredible comparison Paul writes in verse 10. There is a sorrow to life and there is a sorrow to death. If my soul will be sorrowful in the spirit unto God, he promises to bring me new life. But if I will hold my soul entrapped in the things of this world and entrapped in the carnality of this world, this sorrow will drive me to death in the physical. So just as Christ died, so must we die. And the death that we partake in is when we come to an altar or a prayer closet or a place alone, wherever or whatever it may be, and you bend on your knee or you surrender your heart and you begin to pray your prayer. I don't want to step on toes, but I'm just going to go out there today. You don't pray the prayer. You pray a prayer. If the prayer represents your feelings and you want to pray the prayer as your prayer, then pray the prayer as your prayer. I'm talking about the sinner's prayer. Lord, I'm a sinner. I admit I'm a sinner. I confess I'm a sinner. Lord, I ask that you would come into my heart and life and become Lord of my life. If that's truly how you feel and those are the words that, that speak from your soul to God, then pray that prayer. But I found that the template prayer doesn't always work in the situations I'm in when I need to repent. Sometimes I just have to open my heart. Lord, I messed up. Lord, I got faults in my life. Lord, I need to tell you some stuff. Not that you don't know, but we just need to get it out on the table, Lord. I need you to forgive me. I need your grace. I go back to what David prayed. His prayer in Psalms 51. What an incredible prayer of repentance. Begin to pray, just, just clearly opening your heart up to God and just pouring everything out on the altar. This is death. There's a difference between knowing what death is and dying. We could all describe and talk about what death means and what death is. But to experience death is completely different. There are many people who are religious in their practice, even confessing Christianity, who know what death are, is. They have an intellectual understanding of what death is, but they have yet to die. We must die. When we die on an altar of repentance, it's not just, Lord, forgive me. There's the other side of it. Repentance is, Lord, I don't want to come back to this place again. I don't want this hurt in my life anymore. I don't want this sorrow in my life anymore. And if you'll lead me and you'll guide me, I will turn my back on all the dark things that brought me here and I will begin to follow after your light. This is the fruit of repentance. This is repentance to salvation. It's one thing to be forgiven, but it's another thing to commit to not do it again. 
Billy steals a cookie out of the cookie jar and says, I'm sorry, Mommy. We forgive him. If you come back around the corner five minutes later and Billy has his hand in the cookie jar and he just looks at you with his hand in the cookie jar, I'm sorry, Mommy. I'm sorry, Mommy. As he's chowing down cookies, we understand there is not true repentance happening here. They are trying to use words to motivate mommy not to discipline them. God's not manipulated by our humanity. I can't persuade God that I'm good enough. Just let me go. I'm only on repentance. i got to hurry up. God's not persuaded by our goodness. The Old Testament prophet said, our self-righteousness, the best that I could do in myself, is as of filthy rags. It's as of dirty rags. It's as of used rags ready to be discarded and thrown away. The best that I and my humanity can do is insufficient to even be used. That's why Christ said, Surrender your heart and life to me, and I will impute my righteousness upon you. I will place my righteousness into your life. This is what repentance does. Repentance says, I surrender everything to you, God. Past, present, and future. And I'll not chase after the same demons that held me bound before. I'll begin to walk after your light. So just as Christ died, so should we die. Burial. Burial is the watery grave of baptism. The beautiful thing about Jesus Christ being buried is he rose again. This means as a as a person who would officiate or, or complete a baptism, we do have to raise you back up. In like manner as Christ was buried in the water and rose again, so are we buried in the water and rise again. <clears throat> Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4 says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized... How were they baptized? They were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. <clears throat> I believe baptism is required to join the church. Now hold up. Not the church role. Not the church voting roster. Not the church volunteer committee. Not the church attendance record. The ecclesia. The called out people. Baptism is what brings us into the church. Baptism is what causes us to become part of the bride of Christ. The church is in typology, in similitude, in analogy, in scripture, known as the bride of Christ. If you want to be the bride of Christ, you have to be baptized into the bride of Christ into the church. <clears throat> and if you were to be baptized into the church, 
through Scripture and the instruction of Scripture, through the teaching of Christ, through the practice of the apostles, and through the preaching of the disciples and the apostles, we are to be baptized into Christ by the name of Jesus Christ. While it may be old-fashioned in our culture and our society today, it is still required that for God's, God's bride to take on His name in marriage. So if you want to be the bride of Christ, you're going to have to take on the name of Christ, and the name of Christ is Jesus. That's part of why we are buried in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sin. This is what Paul was writing to the Romans. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Verse 4. Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death. And like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. I won't, but man, we could preach for hours on the baptism. In Jesus' name. I want you to go read... I have a homework assignment. I don't have time to do it today. I want you to go read the last chapter in Matthew, Luke, and John. And Mark. There's four of them. All four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They each record the great commission of Jesus Christ. This is what did God say to them in his last words before, and it's recorded in Acts chapter 1, before he left the Mount of Olives and ascended into heaven. If you want to see the, the continued story, read Luke, the last chapter of Luke, and the first chapter of Acts. It actually overlaps a little bit because it was written by the same person, Luke. It's a seamless story. Sometimes we, we see the Bible and it's broke up in books and we're like, oh, that's the end of the, that's the, end of the crucifixion and he's great commission. And then they floated around for a little while and then there's Acts chapter 1. No, it's a seamless story. There's only one account and there's multiple accounts that do not say Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. There's multiple accounts that specifically say that we should be baptized into His name or baptized for the remission of sins. But only Matthew records the Great Commission as we should be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And so I would ask today, what is the name of the Father? And what is the name of the Son? And what is the name of the Holy Ghost? He said, I come in my Father's name. Well, if you come in your Father's name and your name is Jesus Christ, then what would be the Father's name? Jesus Christ. I will send back the Comforter in my name. Well, if the Holy Ghost is coming in His name, what would be the name of the Holy Ghost? Jesus. Do I need to prove anything about Jesus' name being Jesus? I think we got that. Let me ask a question. Just, just a simple question. The Bible tells us that Mary was chosen of God, and an angel came and spoke to her. 
And the angel said to Mary, and I think every word of Scripture is with intention and with purpose. The Holy Ghost will overshadow you and cause you to conceive and you will bear forth a child or a son. We're all adults. Whatever causes her to conceive is the Father. We agree? So what is the Father of Jesus Christ? The Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost and the Father cannot be separate entities. They are the single entity because the Holy Ghost is the Father of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God is the Father of the flesh of God. This is beyond the gospel. This is into the revelation of who Jesus is. This is why we are buried in the name of Jesus Christ because Matthew 28, 18 says, All power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Go ye therefore into all nations, preaching the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. If all power is given unto Jesus Christ, and the only one who has the power to remit my sins through baptism is Jesus Christ. This is why Peter stood on the day of Pentecost, and he began to preach his message. And he preached it with fervency, and he preached it with fire, and he preached it just like the apostles and all of his full characteristics and traits of Peter. We're not drunk as you suppose, Acts chapter 2. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning, folks. And he began to go down the line. This was Messiah. And here's the prophecy about Messiah. And here's the prophecy about his coming. And this is the man you killed. And you put him on a cross. When he got done, conviction fell on the crowd. And we know it because of their response. If we killed Christ, how can we be saved? It's a pretty logical question. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. What must we do to be saved? And Peter, having been trained at the very feet of Christ... Being told by Christ that you have the keys to the kingdom. And being told at his moment of revelation of who Jesus was, that upon this revelation I will build my church. Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I just want to do what the Bible says. I don't want to take anything away from it. I don't want to add anything to it. And if every example in the book of Acts is those being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, then I feel that there's ample evidence that the apostles and the disciples of Jesus Christ only baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And I have other evidence. 
Luke also wrote in Acts chapter 4 and 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Singular name. What is the name? The name is Jesus Christ. So just as Christ was buried, we are buried. We are not just buried at random We're not just buried to join a congregation. We're not buried into a club. We're buried into the bride. And to get into the bride, we take on the bridegroom's name. This is what baptism does. Baptism is taking someone who has died... Placing them in a tomb and leaving all the past behind. I don't know if you've ever taken care of a swimming pool. But on hot days like we have been having, it's very easy for a swimming pool to quickly get algae. You drive through neighborhoods, you can see people's pools. You'll see some people have crystal clear blue pools and some people have green pools. You can put the right amount of chemical into the water to kill the algae, cause death. But here's what happens when you do that. All of that algae, which was alive and and growing and mutating, I don't know what it does. It's slimy, it's disgusting, it's all in there, it's filling the pool. When you, when you put enough chlorine in there, it kills it. It's death. But you still have algae in your, in your pool. It's not green. It's dead. It's brown. It's not alive. It doesn't float anymore. Now it all just settles to the bottom. Look in the pool. Crystal clear water in the bottom will have two inches of muck. Dead algae. You got to get rid of that stuff. You got to remove it. We don't want the dead staying around any longer. This is what repentance does. Repentance kills out the sin in our life, but we've got to get rid of it. We've got to separate ourselves from it. We don't want that rotting, decaying past to to continue to be a part of who we are. We want a complete separation from our past. And so we go into a watery grave, and through the power of the name of Jesus Christ, He washes us, He cleanses us. The Bible says He regenerates us. He purifies us. Your conscience before God is cleaner in the moment you come out of the waters of baptism than it's ever been in your recognizable history. Because many times our first recognition of God is, oh, woe is me. Our first conscience moment of there is a God is a woe is me moment. But when you come out of the water of baptism... It's not a woe is me. It's a I've been redeemed. I've been cleansed. I've been purified. The old analogy 
told by the preacher from out in the woods. When the bank robber runs, they release the greyhound or the bloodhounds that chase him. But the wise robber runs through the creek and buries his trail, and the bloodhounds can't find him any longer. I want to tell you, this is what water baptism does. All those devils, all those demons that you killed out your desire to be with them, they're still searching, they're still looking for you. But if you'll run through the waters of baptism, you'll run through the waters and the buried in the name of Jesus Christ. He washes off the trail. He cleanses off the path. There is nothing for them to follow. We are created a new creature in Christ. Jesus didn't just die and he wasn't just buried. But he rose again, victorious over death and hell. I'll have you stand with me this morning. Yes, I have one more point, but if you stand, I'll go quicker. John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Let me give you the beginning. I'll just read. Let's go back to verse 1. Can we do that? I didn't give them verse 1. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. I'll just tell the story. Jesus, you're a great rabbi. Jesus is like, you know, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus' mind goes, What? There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, verse 2. It's working on it. My computer needs some caffeine. Verse 2, he says, there we go. Same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. How do I know it? Because you do miracles. Only God could be with them. Verse 3, Jesus said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You ever had a conversation with somebody and they just like had a point that they wanted to say something and it didn't really matter what you said, they were just going to make their point? <laughs> Here it is. This is case one. Nicodemus is like, hey, I want to get to know you. I want to compliment you. Let's start building a relationship with each other. And Jesus is like, there's a reason we're here today and it's because you need to be born again. Let's get past the pleasantries. Let's get past the courtesies. Let's get past all the, all the fluff. Let's just get straight to the point today, Nicodemus. You need to be born again. Verse 4. Nicodemus is a little befuddled. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's room and be born? Verse 5. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of of God. Jesus said, I'm not talking to you about physical, Nicodemus. I'm talking to you about spiritual. Our water baptism is a spiritual water birth. Being filled with the power of the Holy Ghost, like Acts chapter 2, and many other examples in Acts and the epistles, is being born of the Spirit. This is in like manner and in similitude to Christ being risen from the grave. 
He was victorious over all of his past. I'm going to tell you how you become victorious over everything in your past. How you truly take on the identity of a new creature in Christ Jesus is when his spirit fills you and makes you a new creature in Christ. I have to go back to Genesis. God formed man in his image. And man could have existed having been formed in God's image. It could have been like the polar bear, the alligator, the cat, the dog, the frog. We could have existed. God said, I breathed into you and made you a living soul. You can repent of your sins and you can be buried in the waters of baptism and he can create you as a new person in Christ. But that person doesn't become a living, eternal, saved soul until his spirit fills them. That's why it's the wind of God that blows into us to fill us. It's why it's the breath of God that comes into us and reignites us and refills us with his spirit. Response to the new life that God gives us causes us to live differently because we choose to honor God. We forsake sin because repentance, we died out to it. We are no longer a person of sin, but now we are a disciple of Christ. At baptism, we've buried this old person, so the, so the new person is no longer under the control and the powers that were over the old person. And by, and by being filled with His Spirit, we are born in as a new creature in Christ Jesus. This is the gospel. This is the message. This is the good news of salvation. And I have to go back to 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm closing with this verse of Scripture today. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. He's saying, I preached it to you. You've received it. You're established in it. Verse 2. By which also ye are saved. He says it's more than intellectual, it's more than academic, it's more than religious, it's eternal. The gospel message saves us. Oh, I'm so thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for the power of the cross. I'm thankful for the power of the grave. And I'm thankful for the power of the resurrection today. Thank you for listening to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. Join us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit us online at lifespringchurch.us.